night, everyone. Um, as was mentioned, uh, my name is Ruben. Um, I'm a published author, as Ian mentioned. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have mentioned that, actually, unless I introduced myself uh, this morning. Sorry? A Taste of Asia. Um, yeah, so I'll just, I'll, just keep, I'll just keep mentioning that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'm part of the church here. I lead one of the connect groups. I lead the Alpha course with Gabby. Um, and uh, so today, as Ian mentioned, we're continuing our Big Questions series. And the aim is to answer some of the main objections uh, to the Christian faith and to equip you to answer some of those questions uh, as well. Um, you might remember that last week Adam helped us think about is Jesus real and looked at some of the evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible and following on from that today we're looking at how can I trust the Bible because the Bible is our main evidence for uh, Jesus and uh, what the early Christians believed about him. Now as a history graduate I'm uh, really excited to go through that with you today and you might be thinking oh no not another history lesson um, but I hope to make it fun and engaging for you there's some audience participation so watch out for that as well. So my answer to this question focuses on three words and if you remember nothing else from today hopefully you can at least remember these three uh, that you can trust the Bible because it is early it's written close to the events of Jesus's life uh, because it's written by eyewitnesses people who lived uh, with Jesus, people who talked to Jesus. And third, because it is unchanged, the Bible has been accurately preserved for us um, today. And before I go any further, um, I'd like to pray, uh, because it's always good to do that, isn't it? Um, and uh, then we'll think about why, why are we talking about this question today? Why should you listen to me? So Father, thank you for this opportunity to explore uh, this question together. Thank you that we have the Bible and that we can read it. Uh, we can read it in our own language. And I pray that you would speak to us uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Great. So why does this question matter? The Christian faith stands or falls based on a historical claim. And that claim is not just, as Adam looked at last week, that Jesus existed and was a real historical person but that Jesus really did rise from the dead. That that is a literal thing that actually happened. Jesus was physically raised from the dead. It's not a metaphor. It's not just a nice idea. It really happened in history. And the Bible is our main evidence for that claim, so it's important to know that we can trust the Bible. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church in Corinth, in Greece, that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time here today. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So it really matters whether Jesus did rise from the dead. Australian author and uh, pastor Rory Shiner uh, says, he explains a bit more what Paul means by that in 1 Corinthians. Um, he says, the resurrection can't mean what it means if it didn't actually happen. Not everything is like that. Some things, like Aesop's fables, or some of Jesus' own parables, can mean what they mean perfectly well apart from actually happening. But the resurrection of Jesus isn't one of those things. So do you get what he's saying there? He's saying that Aesop's fables, those famous stories, it doesn't really matter whether Aesop's fables actually happened or not. Um, they're just a nice story, and the moral of the story is still true, whether or not that literally happened. But if Jesus wasn't literally, historically raised from the dead, then none of the gospel is true, none of the claims that it makes about God or makes about Jesus are true. So it really matters whether Jesus did rise from the dead. And the good news is that we can look at historical evidence 
in the Bible, how we can reach a conclusion. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And of course, to answer that question, we need to ask whether the sources that we're looking at, those historical sources, are reliable. So where are we going? We're going to answer that question, how can I trust the Bible, based around those three words, uh, that it is early, it's from eyewitnesses, and that it is unchanged. And then we'll step back and we'll think about, what now, what does that mean? If the Bible is true and the things that the Bible claims are true, what does that mean for us today? So, the first reason to trust the Bible is that it is early. The Bible uh, says things about Jesus very close to the events of Jesus' life. Now, people will often agree that Jesus existed, that he was a real historical figure, but they'll say oh, it was only later that people started to believe that he was the Son of God and that he was risen from the dead, and that these were later myths and legends, and Jesus never intended to be called the Son of God or to start a global religion. So how do we know that those beliefs about Jesus being the Son of God were added later on? And the reason is that we hear about them very close to the events of Jesus' life. So, what's this building behind me? It's the Millennium Dome, uh, or now the O2 Arena. So some audience participation. Put up your hand if you remember going to the Millennium Dome for the exhibition in the year 2000, or if you weren't in the UK at that point, because I know some people were not, um, if you remember what you did to celebrate the millennium. Okay, so most of you, uh, or quite a lot of you, do remember that. And maybe for some of you it doesn't feel like that long ago, maybe for some of you it does feel like a long time ago, I don't know. But I put up this photo because um, that's about the time gap between when Jesus lived and when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters to the churches, uh, like the letter to, uh, to the church of Corinth, which I mentioned earlier. Now, you might think that the Gospels were written first because uh, we read them first when we go through the New Testament. But actually, Paul wrote his letters before the Gospels, which means that for historians, they are really valuable uh, sources. They tell us uh, some good information about Jesus, really close to his life, and they tell us what the early Christians believed about Jesus. So that letter that I mentioned uh, to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote that less than 20 years after Jesus lived. So that's a little bit like if you were writing today about your experience going to the Millennium Dome and what you thought of that exhibition, um, it's a bit like that uh, for Paul writing about Jesus. It's about that length of time. It's really quite close, especially in terms of ancient history. And the good thing is that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul quotes an early statement of what Christians believed. And he says, this is what Christians believe. And it's really useful if you're a historian wondering when Christians started believing certain things about Jesus. And historians think that Paul received this statement about what Christians believe about Jesus within about three years of Jesus living. So when Paul became a Christian, uh, someone probably told him this, and this is what he's passing on in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, as I read this, I've highlighted some things for you. Uh, so, see if you can spot some details that I've highlighted in blue, which are things that the early Christians believed about Jesus. And I've also highlighted some things in yellow, which are some details which help us to realise Paul isn't passing on a myth or a legend or a thing that might have happened at some point, but we don't really know when. Um, 
that it involves real people and uh, real history. So let's look at what Paul says to the Church of Corinth. He starts off by saying, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So did you spot what uh, Paul was saying there? Did you spot those things in blue? Those beliefs about Jesus, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared to the disciples. You can't really drive a wedge between any of those beliefs. They all come as a complete package uh, within 20 years of Jesus' life. So you can't really say that people started believing these things later on, or that they only started thinking Jesus got resurrected kind of 50 or 100 years later, as some kind of later addition to what Christians believe. The resurrection was a core part of what it meant to be a Christian. Also, did you spot some of those details, like it's on the third day, as we were singing about earlier. Um, it's not something that happened at some unspecified point in history. Uh, Paul mentions, he, Paul is writing so close to these events that some of these people, or most of these people that Paul mentions, who the risen Jesus appeared to, if the Corinthians wanted to, they could have gone and spoken to some of those 500 people that Jesus appeared to. That must be quite an amazing experience. Imagine if you could do that. You sort of wish that you still could, don't you? But um, that's how close to the event Paul is writing. So there's not really any time for myths or legends about Jesus to grow up. Um, so we can trust what the Bible says about Jesus because we have very early evidence about his life and what Christians believe. And in particular, this passage in 1 Corinthians 50 shows that the first Christians really did believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. The second reason to trust the Bible is to do with eyewitnesses. It comes from people who walked and talked with Jesus, or from people who knew them well. So we've thought about one London landmark. Here's another one. This is the Old Bailey in London, the Central Criminal Court. And cases in courts like the Old Bailey are based on evidence, and especially the testimony of eyewitnesses. Now it's worth remembering that although today we're talking about how can I trust the Bible, the Bible is not a single historical source. If the Bible was in the dock there, which is what's, that, what's in that picture there, um, it wouldn't just be one uh, witness, but 27 witnesses if you were just counting the New Testament or the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament. If you were listening carefully to Adam last week, you might remember that he talked about this idea called multiple attestation, which is a fancy way of saying that you have multiple sources saying essentially the same kind of thing about a topic. And so we have that not only with non-Christian sources, but also uh, within the Bible itself. You have multiple independent sources, because it's sometimes hard to make out how all of the Gospels line up. They don't always kind of, you go, well, maybe they slightly seem to contradict each other, but uh, that's actually a good thing, because if in court, if everyone gives exactly the same evidence, people get quite suspicious about that. You might have noticed that Paul mentioned several eyewitnesses uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 and that he'd go and talk to them. One of them is particularly important, uh, James. James was the brother of Jesus. So if people were making up stories about Jesus, uh, James could have set them up. He, like, he grew up with Jesus. 
he knew all the stories there were to know about Jesus. But of course, our main source of information are the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I mentioned that I did a history degree, um, and I often talk to people about the Gospels, and people sometimes say, oh, they're just telling a myth about, about Jesus. They're not, they're not really kind of thinking out this actually happened, but they really are. They claim to be eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. So let's think about two questions that often get asked about the Gospels. Aren't they biased? And are they accurate? So to that first question, aren't they biased? The answer is yes, they are biased. They have a very strong agenda. They're very open and honest that they want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is who he claimed to be. But that is not a reason to reject their evidence. And here's why. Suppose for an awful moment that you were in the Old Bailey and you were standing accused of some crime that you knew you were innocent of. At that moment, you would have a very strong agenda to try and prove your innocence. But fortunately, that doesn't mean that people discount your evidence just because you're trying to prove that you're innocent. Um, and it's the same uh, in the Bible and in history, because uh, the question we really need to ask is the second question, are they accurate? Do the sources in the Bible seem to be telling the truth. So let's uh, look into that a little bit more. Um, one of the tests uh, kind of in court is, well, do you include evidence that seems maybe counterproductive, or do you miss things out? Uh, do they seem to be accurate? So we're gonna hear now from Dr. Peter Williams. Uh, he's the director of Tyndale House, uh, a Bible research institute in Cambridge. And he's done a lot of research on the historical reliability the Gospels, um, and we'll hear from him about Luke's Gospel now. Is Luke's Gospel historically reliable? Luke's Gospel presents itself not as some mere story, but as careful history. It begins with a four-verse preface written in high-class Greek dedicated to Theophilus, a high-ranking Roman, and it claims that the writer has checked out the facts that he records through extensive contact with eyewitnesses. But is this all true? Let's start with the text, the actual wording. How do we know that hasn't changed? We know the book hasn't changed over time because it became popular very early on. By the year 225, it had become so popular that it was bound together with the three other Gospels in a manuscript you can now see in Dublin. And before then, we know from the copies which survive and the way it was quoted and adapted by other writers that it was in wide circulation by the early 2nd century, and that what we have in today's Bibles is essentially the same as what they had back then. In fact, Luke's Gospel is attested in far more early manuscripts than you'll find for most classical historians of the time. Luke was a travelling companion of the Apostle Paul within 20 years of the ministry of Jesus, and wrote both this book and a sequel, the book of Acts, which talks about the early Christians. So Luke's Gospel was written within one generation of Jesus and we can check out what he wrote at numerous points and see how reliable he is. Though he was probably hundreds of miles away when he wrote this down, he clearly knew all about the culture and the land of Israel, the names of villages whose names you wouldn't know unless you had been speaking to a local. He knows where the hills were, where sheep were kept, where particular trees like sycamores grew and what the local Jewish groups believed. All signs of a careful observer. 
In fact, it's impossible to imagine how someone can get right all the local knowledge that he did unless they spent a lot of time investigating. And if he really did spend a lot of time investigating and could accurately record those details, then you'd have to rule out the view that the miracle stories came about by careless exaggeration on his part, or that when he wrote about miracles, he got it wrong because he lived in an age when people were simply more ready to believe that sort of thing. So why not read through the whole of Luke? You can read it in just over an hour. And as you do so, ask, what do I make of Luke, the writer? Was he a fanatic or a reliable historian? And the more important question, what do I make of the central character, Jesus? himself. Great, so there's lots more that could be said about that uh, topic. In fact, whole books have uh, been written on that subject, um, and I won't go into detail about that now. Um, and there's lots that I could have included. Uh, I took out a whole section of what I was going to share here, and I'm going to put it on the church uh, blog instead, so you can read it there in your own time. So we've thought about two of the reasons to trust the Bible, that it is, um, by, that it is early and that it is by eyewitnesses. Um, and then the third reason uh, to trust the Bible is that it is unchanged. What we have in our Bibles today is uh, the same as what the first Christians had. In the video, uh, Peter Williams explained how we know the text of Luke's Gospel hasn't changed. But you might be wondering, how do we know, before it was written down, how do we know uh, that uh, we have the authentic stories and words of Jesus uh, before they were written down? This is a really good question, uh, because the disciples couldn't get out their iPhones, could they, and record Jesus speaking. So how do we know what, what we have, what he actually said? And uh, that means that they would, because they couldn't record them on their phones, uh, they would have... Uh, pass them on from person to person. And at this point, you might be thinking of a game that you played as children, uh, the telephone game where you have a message that gets passed around the room and you whisper it from one person to another and it gets changed in hilarious ways uh, along the way. Now, some people would say that that's how we ended up with the uh, stories about Jesus before they were written down in uh, the Gospels. But the analogy doesn't work. Because... What makes the game funny is that it introduces errors. It's designed to do that. You've got one person just passing on to one other person at a time. But the stories and teachings about Jesus were shared widely and publicly among the first Christians. Uh, it was a public event to kind of preach about who Jesus was after uh, the resurrection. And as Adam mentioned, uh, this is a time when most people can't read and write. So religious teachers in Jesus' day uh, would have taught their followers by kind of preaching, by speaking, and their followers would have memorized uh, what the teachers were saying. And that's what Jesus' followers would have done as well. Uh, they would have been memorizing Jesus' teachings together in a group. They're not just trying to remember it on their own. They're remembering it together. And passing those words on accurately was really important for early Christian communities. So. There's an analogy of a telephone game, but it's not like that. That's not how the Gospels uh, came to us. Another question is, how do we get the four Gospels that we have in our Bibles today? There's a popular idea, if maybe you've read the Da Vinci Code, uh, that uh, the early church suppressed the truth about 
who Jesus was, contained in supposedly more reliable uh, sources. That's the claim, but it doesn't really stand up to the evidence. Some people will tell you about some alternative Gospels that aren't in the Bible. They might talk about the Gospel of Philip uh, or the Gospel of Thomas, which, just a heads up, those Gospels were not written by those people that you meet in the Bible. Uh, they were written um, much later. They were written in the second uh, and third centuries, so sort of over 100 years probably after Jesus. Um, and if you went and read them, they'd read really differently to the Gospels that we have in the New Testament. These alternative Gospels try and fill in details that nobody saw that weren't kind of eyewitness details. So, for example, one of the interesting things in the four Gospels that we have uh, in the New Testament is they don't try and imagine what happened at the exact moment of the resurrection. They just say, the tomb was empty. We don't know what happened, and then we see Jesus. Um, but in these alternative Gospels, they try and fill in that and imagine uh, what happened. How do we end up with these four Gospels, though? Why these four? Why not other ones? The four Gospels weren't chosen by a powerful group of church leaders. There wasn't some secret committee where they decided, oh, well, this one's in and this one's out. Um, it wasn't like that. Instead, these four Gospels quickly became popular among the early Christians uh, because they were the best sources of information about Jesus' life. And already by the late 2nd century and the early 3rd century, we have evidence that the four Gospels were a recognised group, um, and Peter Williams mentioned that in the video. And so, at that time, some of those alternative Gospels had started to appear, um, but they're not included in a special group of four, and that special group of four Gospels wasn't, um, there was no central group saying, it's only these four. Um, people just uh, kind of picked them up because they were the most um, accurate, the most reliable, the most detailed accounts of Jesus' life. So in the fourth century, there were some church councils where they decided what was in what's called the canon, which is, just means what's in our Bibles today. Um, and they just confirmed really what the church had already widely been using up to that point. And they used three criteria to decide uh, which books were in the New Testament. Um, and these are the three criteria. Apostolics are connected with one of the 12 apostles who saw the risen Jesus. Second, that they were widely embraced by the church, so lots of people were using them. And thirdly, that they uh, are orthodox, so not contradicting any other books in the Bible. And those alternative Gospels that I mentioned, like the Gospel of Thomas, uh, if you test them against all three of those things, they fail all of them. Uh, that's why they're not in our Bibles today. Um, and we can be confident in the four Gospels that we do have in our Bibles as being the best evidence for Jesus. Okay, so that is a whistle-stop tour of three reasons to trust the Bible, that it is early, the core beliefs about Jesus were there from the very start, uh, that it is from eyewitnesses, people who met Jesus, who honestly recorded what they saw and what they heard, and that it's unchanged, that it has been accurately preserved for us. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, so what? What does that, what does that prove? What difference does that make? And that is a very good question. And it takes us back to the resurrection and to thinking about that claim. Did Jesus physically, literally rise from the dead or not? And because of those reasons I've outlined that we can trust the Bible as historical evidence, it means that it's rational to believe at least these two things. One, that on that first Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. 
and second, that Jesus' disciples really did claim to see him alive again. Now it's important to realise that the Bible claims both of these things, because if it only claimed one of them, uh, there would be some very easy solutions. So if uh, the tomb was empty, but Jesus' disciples didn't claim to see him again, well, then you just need to go and find what someone's done with the body, and they've obviously taken it somewhere else. Or if people just claim to be seeing Jesus, because there are people who sometimes claim to see uh, you know, loved ones who've died kind of afterwards, uh, but Jesus' body was still in the tomb, well, then you could tell us So you just need to see, look, there's, there's the tomb, there's Jesus' body. Um, but trying to explain both of those things is really difficult. Um, and there are lots of possible theories that people have tried over the years, like, oh, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die, but the Romans were really quite good at killing people. It was sort of their job uh, to know that people were actually dead when they crucified them. Uh, or maybe someone stole the body. Well, in that case, uh, why didn't they uh, show the body? Uh, why didn't they confess that they uh, had done it? Some people might say, oh, well, maybe it was all just a massive conspiracy, a big hoax. People made it up, um, and it's just a sort of fairy story. People, maybe people had something to gain from trying to start a new uh, religion. But that doesn't really work. Here is a picture of some people who know what it's like to have a story that's not true unravel before your eyes, and it caused a lot of problems. Um, the guy in the middle in this picture is President Nixon. Um, the guy uh, on the left is a political pollster, and the guy in the glasses is a man called Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was involved in the Watergate scandal, which uh, I didn't realize this when I was preparing, but was 50 years ago. Uh, on Friday uh, that it happened in 1972, and this, this scandal, the Watergate scandal, uh, ended Nixon's presidency. It came about because Nixon's administration tried to cover up their involvement in a break-in at the Watergate building, which held the offices of the Democratic Party uh, election campaign. Um, and this was a massive cover-up and involved lots of very powerful people, but one by one the story unraveled as people confessed their part in the scheme to cover up the break-in. So Chuck Colson, uh, he later became a Christian, he went to prison because he had his part in the Watergate scandal, and he wrote this about uh, the resurrection and how it compares with the Watergate scandal. He says this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate involved 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So it's a great quote, one of my favourites about the resurrection. Um, and all of this means, if you're wondering, still wondering, why does this matter? All this means, uh, if you're asking a question, why did Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And you're trying to explain that, just historically. Uh, why do Christians believe that? Um, the best answer to that question is, well, because he did rise from the dead. That's why Christians believe it happened. But the problem is that this historical evidence only gets you so far. Because history can tell you lots of things, there are lots of uh, really good historical questions uh, to be asking, and it gets you to a certain point. 
Plenty of people will believe that Jesus existed, but not that he was the Son of God or that he rose from the dead. Now, why is that? Because in lots of other situations, if you have good historical evidence of something, people will just believe it and go, yeah, Julius Caesar existed, yes, uh, you know, the Second World War happened, and things like that. But on this question, people don't just believe it based on the excellent historical evidence that I've kind of outlined. Why is that? Well, the first reason is that uh, it takes you from history into theology. Uh, is there a God? Because there's one argument that can totally demolish everything I've just said, which is that there's no God to do the resurrecting of Jesus. And if you don't believe that there's a God, then, uh, well, any other explanation for why Jesus rose, why people thought Jesus rose from the dead, uh, would do. So we come down to this theological question, which really then comes down to, well, what do you think about that? What is your conclusion? Because I can't definitively prove to you one way or the other, even though the historical evidence points to Jesus being raised from the dead. If you don't want to believe that that's true, then you won't believe it. Um, and so, how you answer that question, was Jesus raised from the dead, will change your life forever. Okay? Most historical questions, like why the French Revolution happened, or what were the causes of the First World War, which I could talk to you about for a long time, incidentally. Um, uh, but how you answer those questions uh, will not change the rest of your life. It doesn't really matter, ultimately. But this question really does. Speaking in Athens, the Apostle Paul uh, makes this connection for us, how the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference to our lives today, and demands a response from us. It's not just, well, I don't really mind one way or the other. It really matters. And this is what Paul says. Is, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has said a day when he will judge the world with righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So what Paul is claiming here in Acts 17 is that the resurrection of Jesus is God's way of proving that there's going to be a day of judgment, actually, which is not a connection that I think we often make about Easter, that it's proving that there's going to be a day of judgment. So Paul says, turn to God, repent, and believe, and be saved. And so it really makes a difference how you answer this question. The evidence demands a verdict, and how you answer will change the rest of your life. So it's important to think about what your answer to it is. What is your conclusion? And you don't have to answer that question now if you're not a Christian here today or watching online. In fact, please don't just take my word for it. Please do what good historians do and look at the evidence for yourself. Read through Luke's Gospel. Ask a friend about any questions you have. Ask yourself, what do you think about Jesus? And if you do come to the conclusion that you think Jesus really did rise from the dead, then we'd love to chat to you about what that might look like for you today. So, to finish off, let's come back to that question, how can I trust the Bible? Those three words, uh, because it's early. If you remember nothing else, remember the Millennium Dome. That's how close to the event uh, Paul and the other uh, writers of the New Testament are writing uh, about Jesus. You trust the Bible, secondly, because it's from eyewitnesses. Remember what I said about the Old Bailey, about the courtroom? It's from people who met Jesus, honestly recording what they saw and what they had. And thirdly, because it is unchanged. It's not like a telephone game. Uh, we can be sure that what we have in our Bibles today is what the first Christians had as well. So there we go. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found that helpful.